Welcome to church. It's great that you're here. Hope you've had a fantastic week watching the Olympics and that you haven't been staying up too bleary-eyed. Eyes, uh, bleary eyed. Oh, here's a church pop quiz. Is that coming up there? Is that something you want to keep going with yeah. there, Mason? <laughs> wow, there you go. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Wow, it's gone fast. That's right, four years. I'd forgotten about that when I stood up here. I'd remembered it this week, but thank you very much. Um, how do I recover from that? <laughs> We, we do want to say welcome to today. If you were stayed up last night but you didn't get to stay right up really late, we won a gold medal last night in the diving, so that's good news, isn't it? We weren't expected to, but we also didn't get a gold medal. The Opals were beaten by the US, so you win some and you lose some. Um, but anyway, we'll keep cheering. Just one more day to go now, hey? Uh, also tonight, we want to let you know, Darren Miles is speaking. Who's your mama, Sarah or Hager? So you've got a choice between the Olympics closing ceremony or Darren Miles, and I know what I'm picking. Darren Miles, I'll be here, front centre. I um, want to let you know that everybody who comes, we, we love to uh, keep in touch and just to know that you've been and, and give you an opportunity to communicate with us. Often it's hard to catch up with me or other people after the service. So if there's a prayer request or if there's something you're wanting us to pray with you for, we just ask that you fill in a blue card and put it on the back. And during the week, there are people that will pray for your prayer request. It's another way of us just knowing that you've been here today and, and doing that. So if everyone would love you to just fill out one of those during the service and later on they'll be collected as well. Um, this Thursday night is an inquirer's course and that would, that's specifically for people who are people who have been exploring Christ and have coming to know more, more about who Jesus is and what he's done. And maybe you've come to a decision in your life where you want to put your faith in him or you feel like you're almost at a point where you do want to put your faith in him. The Explore, Inquirer's class is for you, and it's great. It talks about baptism, it talks about church membership, it talks about what it means to become a Christian, and it's only over two nights, and it starts this Thursday night. So if you want to be part of it, just write in, and I'd like to be part of the Explorer's class, and you'd enjoy you, Inquirer's class. Sorry, thanks, Sandy. Those that are already signed up, will, you'll, be, you'll be able to be part of those as well. Um, I want to let you know our news sheet is fantastic. got lots of things in it. Coming up this weekend is an incredibly um, busy weekend. Uh, if you look on the inside right page is the Bible Society. And here in our church on Saturday night, we have a youth concert um, that's happening here. So if you're young at heart or want to come along, come along. If you're a youth as well, that would be great. We also have uh, from the Bible Society, Tony Crooks is going to share with us in the morning just for 10 minutes about what the Bible Society is doing in China at the moment. So that'll be really interesting as well. Um, so don't miss next week. Also next week, if you're reading ahead in 1 Timothy in the passage, we've got some really tough um, verses coming up next week. So if you really like um, reading ahead and figuring out what's going to happen, Two of the key verses next week that we're going to be looking at is the one that says, a woman should learn 
in quietness and full submission. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must remain silent. That's going to be one we'll be looking at next week. And also we'll be looking at verse 15, which if you have any idea on what this means, I'll be, I'll be telling you what I think it means next week. But it says in verse 15, but women will be saved through childbearing. So uh, next week we'll share with you what, what, what I feel that has been happening. And we just want to celebrate with Kath and Andy Herbig who... Have uh, if you know have given birth to a little baby this week, so um, that's good for Kath especially. But we'll see what that means next week. But <laughs> but they had a little baby girl and called Alyssa, Alyssa Annabelle. So and she's doing well, and so is Andy. They're both very happy as well. Want to let you know too this week. Crucial for church members is our church meeting. It's our annual church meeting and our quarterly meeting on Wednesday night. And we just love you now to put that in your diary. Make sure you'll be there and come along. It's a really important time of reflecting on the past year, sharing together, and it will be great. We're bringing some nominations for, for deacons, and we'd love you to be there. And, and it's so important as part of our church community, you as members, to say, yep, I'd love to be there as well. So that's some great news. The church logos, up at the back of the church, two of them are there, and we'd just love you to say which one you, you think represents our church and you'd like to vote for, put it in, and, and that would be great. We'll be announcing the results of that at the church business meeting this week as well. So we'd love you to do that. Just vote once, and uh, that will be great, and we're looking forward to that. The other thing that we do want to let you know Castaways is coming up. The details are there. The women's um, girls getaways next week. We'll be just praying that that goes fantastically. And um, we're looking forward to all these exciting events coming up. Men's breakfast two weeks away. It's all happening, isn't it? Now, in just a few moments, we just want to introduce to you uh, Sharon Cleggett. And she's going to come and she's going to share with us um, about an exciting opportunity for you to be involved in. So why don't we welcome Sharon Cleggett and she's going to come and talk now. So great, Sharon. Christians, 
this um, booklet called The Greatest Gift of All is given out with the boxes and that tells the story of Jesus. And so it gives them a chance to know that God loves them too and he hasn't forgotten them, that they're precious to him. And that's the greatest gift that we can give them, I think. Mm. And it's a wonderful way to share the message of God's love. Now, not only is that child impacted when they get the shoebox, but it's their families and their communities that see a difference in them. They're touched. Their hearts are opened by these boxes. Uh, they break down cultural and religious barriers, enabling communities to accept humanitarian aid. Simple things we take for granted, like clean water. Samaritan's Purse are able to go in and put in water filters, um, give health education, HIV and AIDS education. Um, they've set up orphanages, built schools, and they develop small businesses so communities can sustain themselves. Um, the way it works is Samaritan's Purse set up national teams in the countries where the boxes are distributed, and they work with the local churches to hand out the boxes. There are teams of Australians who go over and help to distribute the boxes, but it's mainly the local churches who do the work of handing them out. And that's wonderful because it's our resources empowering them, and they're able to build relationships with their communities and do any follow-up work because of the, um, the gift that they get, the hearing, the message of um, God's love that needs to be built on. I didn't say that right. Anyway, hmm. it's our chance to support them doing God's work in the world. Hmm. And I love that all these things start with this shoebox. It's something so simple. And I recently read a comment um, from an American lady who was working um, in one of the processing centres in America. And it just sums up for me what Operation Christmas Child means. God was able to use me, a single person, to make a difference in the life of a child thousands of miles away. What a joy to be used by our Creator to touch the life of someone else. I'll be adding the foyer after the service for more information. I've got boxes, I've got brochures, which is what you need, one of those, to get you started. And um, I can show you how to pack a shoebox if you've never done one before. Um, I hope you'll get involved. It's a, a little thing, a simple thing, and it makes a big difference. Mm. Uh, there's now a DVD to watch. Thank you. Sorry. just uh, doing a shoebox so we just Sharon just does an incredible job um, she actually coordinates not just our church's shoebox but for the whole region and they all come to our the garage at the back as well and she gets them put on trains and sent down to Melbourne and um, she just does an awesome job and thank you for sharing with us today Sharon and we're just looking forward to uh, all of us, you know, getting shoeboxes. And at the back is a stand after the service. You can just go and talk to her there 
about that. So um, in a moment, we're going to pray and uh, just pray that our shoeboxes this year would make a big impact on people. But before we do, let's just turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 to 7. And we're thinking about, as we look at 1 Timothy, um, how to thrive in challenging times. And um, as we've been looking through, we've been definitely learning things about how we, we can thrive in challenging times. So let's read from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 to 7. I urge then, first of all, that requests... Prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Let's pray together, shall we, church? God, this morning we thank you so much for your word and for the way in which you speak to us through your word. We love to read your word with an open heart and with hearts and minds that want to hear and understand what you have done for us, God. And we thank you for the most wonderful truth of all, that you, God, love us and love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. Oh, we thank you for that. Thank you for the grace that you poured out on Paul, for the grace that you poured out on John Newton, for the grace that you poured out on us when we came to put our trust and faith in you, Lord Jesus. God, this morning, as we gather together, we want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us through Christ. Thank you for giving us new life and new hope. And God, this morning as we thank you, we're going to lift up our hearts and pray for those who don't know you, those that have not come to understand the truth of the gospel, that you, God, love each person and that your desire is that each would come to know you. And God, we want to pray this morning for those that we know who don't know you. And we just long that they would come to know you, God, because you sent your son, Jesus, not just for us, but for them. And Lord, in these moments, we just want to lift up in our hearts and in our minds those in our families who don't know you, Lord Jesus. We just lift them up in our hearts now and bring their names before you. Oh God, may people in our family come to know you as their Lord and Saviour. Oh God, we pray for 
people who we work with on a day-to-day basis, people who uh, we study with, people who we spend time each and every day with who don't know you, God. We lift them up before you too, praying that they will come to know you, Lord Jesus. And God, this morning we want to pray for our leaders, for Kevin Rudd, our Prime Minister. We want to pray for state premiers in Victoria and New South Wales, for our local mayor here in Wodonga and for our mayor in Albury and for those that are councillors and for people that are running for election in the council in Albury. And God, we just lift up them before you now. And God, we pray that they would lead wisely and with diligence. And we pray, God, that they would look to you as they lead so that our land, Australia, would be well governed and well led so that we as Christians can freely share the gospel and demonstrate what it is to know and to love you. God, we lift them up before you. And Lord, we pray for people that live right around this uh, world that you have made. We think of kids who will be receiving shoeboxes this Christmas. We pray that as we put together shoeboxes ourselves and as we get them ready and as we prepare them, that you would already be working in the hearts of these children. And that this gift might let them know that the same Lord who saved us can save them. God, we pray for the people in Malawi this morning, the Yao people, Muslim people, who have seen and observed the witness of John Wilmont and uh, his family and of Scott Gervin and his family and of other people who are serving as part of the GIA team. And God, we pray that those Muslim people would realise and come to know that you, Lord Jesus, died for them in the same way that you died for us. God, we pray for people all over the world and those especially gathered from every part of the world at the Olympics at this time. And we pray that at this time as people like the Bible Society and other mission organisations seek to share the gospel, that this might be a time for the gospel to be spread even wider and that those in China would come to hear about this gospel. God, we pray that your good news would not be kept just for those who have been saved, but that we who have experienced it would take this message and share it with others. Lord, We thank you. Thank you for loving us and saving us. Help us to never forget. Never forget what you've done for us and to seek to share that with others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
perfect screen. That's perfect. Great. Well, I wonder um, uh, whether you can remember events in your life that have had an impact on you. One, one event in my life was I was just walking to school with my brother, my older brother. He was in year 10. I was in year 8. And he and one of his year 10 mates were walking along with me on our way to school together. And as my brother walked along, he just kicked something and looked at it, picked it up, and it was a wallet, a leather wallet. And inside, we opened up the wallet. Andrew looked, up, looked at the wallet and found that there was no way of identifying whose wallet it was. There was nothing else in the wallet at all. No name, address, anything. But inside was just $37, three tens, a five and a two, you know. Um, and in there, I can't remember actually, by that stage they might not have had $2 notes or all those things. They would have, yeah, I can't remember all the details. But anyway, $37 in there. And we thought about it and we wondered what we would do. And to my delight and joy, my brother looked at me and he said, well, we're never going to be able to find whose this is. Ten for you, Jonathan. <laughs> Ten for you to his, his mate. And he kept 17 for himself. And I remember sitting there. It was Tuesday. We had sports and I went to squash every Tuesday. And I remember my mum and dad never gave me much spending money. They were very, you know, you, you just have your cut lunch. And I used to look at kids who got lots of money, you know, and long for that. But this day, I can just remember sitting at the squash court with a massive big Slurpee and a, and a big packet of Twisties. And I remember thinking to myself, I love my brother, you know. <laughs> I didn't always love him. I think the next day we probably fought again. But on that day, I loved my brother. You know why? Because he'd shared with me the good stuff that he'd found. He shared it with me. Now, I'm not recommending if you find a wallet, hand it into the police station. I've changed a lot. I'm much more godly than I was back then. <laughs> but I love my brother because he shared with me what he'd found. I really don't think every brother would do that, do you? Many brothers would have said, finders keepers, losers weepers, you know? Bad luck. Would have taken it all and, and kept it for themselves. And I think, really, if we're honest, there's the part within us all that when we get good stuff, that when we find stuff that's really great, I think we all have a bit of a desire to say, I want to keep it all to myself. I, I want to keep it. You know, I think some of the first words that we ever learn as, as little toddlers is, it's mine, you know. And from the playpen, we shout it as we fight with another kid. You know, I, I want it. It's mine. I wonder if you can engage with these questions and ask yourself, am I a chronic sufferer from the tendency to keep good things for myself rather than sharing them with others or not? See how much you, are, you know, feel affinity with these statements. You always say thank you when someone gives you a box of chocolates, but never open them until you are alone and far from any sign of civilised life. <laughs> Is that you? You could suffer from chronic thinking for yourself rather than others. 
You increase the number of people on your birthday party guest list saying that it's unfair not to invite them. But secretly you know it's really because you just want more presents. Is that you? Could be. You clap and cheer politely when the Happy Meal Award is given to a new player on your son's cricket team, but deep down you plan in your mind how you are going to begin World War III with a coach who had the nerve not to give it to your boy. Yeah? Is that you? You drive past driver after driver stranded on the side of the road, yet when you're stuck, you berate the way people never stop for anyone to give help these days. Is that you? You proudly show off your new mobile phone to everybody, lapping up the attention and loving the response until someone with a new 16 gig iPhone walks in and you feel like crying. (laughs) Well, if that's you, any of you identify with those things, it could be that you're suffering from the keep for me, no share with you disease, yeah? It's also commonly known as selfishness. And I think what can happen is if we're not aware of our pull to keep good things to ourselves, we can find ourselves just thinking of how life can be lived meeting my needs rather than sharing the good things that we're given with others. You know, the scariest thing about this disease, selfishness, is that it tends to pop up at the most unfortunate times. And you know where it can pop up even? In the church. In our own faith, we can become selfish, self-centred and inward. You know, I've observed that people who have been once transformed by the amazing grace of the gospel, as Paul talked about, uh, talking about having the grace of God lavished upon them, can quickly forget how much they've received and take the gospel just for granted. They forget the gospel, that the good news, that the grace of God that was poured out upon them was not poured out just for them alone. That the exact same grace of the gospel wants to be, God wants to pour out on others who don't know that. And so what we end up doing is sometimes living in a way that keeps the good news all to ourselves and doesn't share it with others. Some of the signs that you might be doing that, that we might be doing that, is, is this. People who have forgotten the grace of God and think that it's God has saved them for, for their benefit can start looking down on others who don't know Jesus. Just a subtle thing. And it's as though I'm better than you now because I know Jesus and you don't and I'm holy and you're sinful and I'm now righteous in God's eyes and you're not and you're, you're, you're terrible. When really what they're forgetting is that once they were a sinner just like them, they still are a sinner, but the only difference is that they're saved by the overwhelming grace of Christ. And, and, and who could ever now look at other people down without realising that it's only through God and his grace that we're saved? Sometimes this might come out in, in Christians judging other people, looking down on them, criticising them, 
even in its worst forms, is not welcoming, welcoming them. You know, like when new people come into settings where there are Christians, we kind of, you know, act in our own sort of ways, not realising and forgetting that the gospel is for them just as it is for you. If, if that happens to you, you could be suffering this disease of selfishness, the pull that moves us inward rather than outward. Another way that I think it's seen sometimes in people's lives, in Christians' lives, is that people start to think about the church, which was once the most incredible uh, place where they heard the gospel, they met Christian people, they experienced the love of God, can start to shift in their thinking to think that the church exists for now my comfort, my needs, my pleasure, rather than realising that the church must seek to help to take away some of the very things that you love and affirm and hold on to over the years and years and years so that other people can hear the gospel in, in a way that they understand. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes um, we kind of expect people who don't know Jesus to dress in a way that reflects godliness because for somehow we think that that's how they should, you know. And we look at people's dress or we use Christian lingo and jargon which you only would, you would have had to be a Christian for a very long time to be able to feel like you know what people are talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes in subtle ways it's giving the message to new people that the church is for us to enjoy and to celebrate, and it is. Of course, the church is made up of of people who know Jesus and love Jesus. But we should try and take away everything. The gospel never changes. We never compromise that. But take away anything that might stop and hinder people from coming to know Jesus, becoming clicky. You know, keeping our own little groups that don't ever let anybody else in is saying to other people that the church is about me and maintaining my nice friendships. I mean, what can often happen is I can look for people my own age with my own experiences, with my own, you know, level of, of faith and my own, you know, hobbies and things like that and just stay in that nice group and think that this is what the gospel is all about. Sometimes I can come to church and like a service based on whether the songs that we sing suit my preference rather than thinking about how they might impact on people who have never heard Jesus before. I'm talking about the, the lyrics in the songs, the, the music, all the different things. Uh, sometimes we get upset that we, it wasn't heavy enough or deep enough or didn't use enough big theological terms. And I think what we've got to keep wrestling with together is this tendency for coming consumer Christians that want things our way and forget that the gospel is about helping other people know the great truth and grace that comes only through Jesus Christ. Why is this important anyway? Why should we even talk about this sort of stuff and why is it important to pack, uh, unpack this in the light of our you know, a tendency to, to, to go back to selfishness? Because people matter to God. People matter to God. 
people who don't know Jesus are important and valuable to God. He loves people that are lost. He loves people that are far from him and don't know him. And if they matter to him, then they should matter to us. God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world. And he sent his son so that you and I could hear, and we've heard, and now he wants other people to hear as well, and he wants us to be part of helping them know this message. And the more we allow our church to drift inward, the more we allow our own lives to drift inward, the more danger we have of thinking that the gospel exists for ourselves and virtually we give off signs that say to the rest of the world, you can literally go to hell. You know, and that's tragedy because the whole reason Christ came was to save them. So important that we wrestle and fight this tendency for inwardness and keeping ourselves as the whole purpose of the gospel. I think it's so important that we fight tooth and nail to look more outward and to build up an immunity against this disease of selfishness. But how do we do that? How can we actually... Uh, ensure that we resist the pull to inwardness. What would God have us do? Well, as we come to 1 Timothy this morning, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first thing that Paul wants to share with us in this passage of 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 7, is, is this, that salvation is for all people. It's for everybody. The gospel is for every single person. Now, Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to stop the false teachers, you remember. They were teaching these false teachers exclusivism. You know, they they were teaching, uh, they were limiting salvation to only a few select people. Many of the women who were there, many, uh, many were doing things that were similar in Corinth. They were exercising their newfound freedom in Christ to excess. Some of the Ephesian elders uh, are teaching errors. They're teaching false doctrines. And w- what's happening is the way that they're conducting themselves, these leaders, is showing that there is strong need for reproof from Paul. They're, the way they're living is showing that they're not worthy leaders in the church. And all of this produced an intolerable situation. And if this was going to be a church that would thrive in difficult times, in challenging times, then they needed to hear from Timothy, they needed to hear from Paul what God would want them to do. And so Paul sends Timothy, he leaves him there in Ephesus, and then he sends this letter, 1 Timothy, to the church in Ephesus. And he, he, he says, in effect, at the start, drastic times, they call for drastic measures. And, and so he writes at the start saying, I'm Paul the Apostle, you know, I'm the authority, I'm the command of God. This is what you must do. Timothy, stand up against the false teachers. Don't let them keep speaking. I'm urging you. I want you to command, in verse 3 of chapter 1, I command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Why? Because if you keep letting them do that, 
you're going to get caught up on all these old myths and controversies and you're going to start, it's going to lead to division and then what you'll be doing is you'll be missing the very purpose of the gospel is not to bring disunity and division and, and you know, schisms in the church. It's to build up uh, uh, people who will love God and love others. Remember we talked about keeping the main thing, the main thing and not getting sidetracked on other things. And Paul shares his experience. For me, he says, I was the worst of sinners. Yet this is a true saying. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And look, I was poured out God's grace, poured his grace, his amazing grace over me. And it has changed my life. And then he says, Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight. Do whatever you have to to stand up against the false teachers because the gospel is at stake. And some have left them. And Timothy starts now, uh, Paul starts now to address the false teachers and to tell him what he's going to do about them. So first of all, he says, fight the good fight to Timothy. And then he explains some of the drastic measures that he has taken. He's handing over some of the ringleaders of the false teachers to Satan. Look what it says at the end of verse uh, of, of chapter one. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. He's excommunicated them from the church. He's moved them out because they were such a threat that he says, the first thing I'm going to do to address this false teaching is get rid of these two troublemakers. And he says, hand them over to Satan. In other words, push them right out of God's, out of the church, out of this community, hand them over to let Satan deal with them. And Look at the, the thing, not to just get rid of them, but so that they would learn and be taught not to blaspheme. He's hoping that they'll learn that lesson and maybe some other time they might come back in. But this is drastic times for drastic measures. So the first thing, let's get rid of these two guys who are false teachers and are causing all the trouble. Now, he gets to the first part of this letter. And if you look at your Bibles from chapter 1, uh, verse, two, chap- verse 1 of chapter 2, right through... To chapter 4 and verse 5, he's going to be teaching and he's going to be teaching the church the correct and proper way to conduct themselves in the, in the church in Ephesus. He's going to correct the improper way that they've been acting. He's, he's going to look at their conduct and see what they've been doing wrong and now he's going to say, this is how you should live because of the glorious gospel. And so Paul writes addressing the errors that have been done. He begins, I urge then first of all, I'll put this up for you, that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone. This is how he starts off. At first sight, it looks like the issue that he's going to address here is prayer and and that prayer is important. And this certainly is what Paul wants the church to do. This is what he, he wants the church to do. But the reason that he wants people to pray is because it seems that they haven't been praying for everyone. They've been praying for the people who they believe are the ones that the gospel was for, the exclusive ones, the ones that fitted into their myths and endless genealogies. And so they've been having an exclusive gospel. And so Paul says, I urge you then to pray 
And prayers be made for everyone, not just the exclusive group. Look what he says, for kings and for those in authority. And at that time, there were no kings that were Christian kings at all. They were, they were pagan kings. And that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved, not just a few, and want them to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one media between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at the appropriate time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling you the truth because you probably don't think that I could be an apostle to the Gentiles because you're still caught up on the fact that the Jews are the, are the ones that, that can receive salvation and not the Gentiles. So right through this passage, Paul is time again and time and time again hitting on one point, and this is it. And if you want to know what today's message I want you to get from it, this is it. Salvation is for all. That's what Paul was wanting to teach them. Salvation is for all people. The scope of what Jesus did on the cross is not just for a limited few. God wants all people to be saved. That's what Paul was wanting to say to them in this passage. And, and we see it right through it. So what, God wants people to be saved, all, 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 all people to be saved? Yes, that's right. So are you saying that uh, God wants his God up here? So are you saying that God wants, uh, who, rich people to be saved? Absolutely. Poor people to be saved? Yes, absolutely. What about uh, Jews to be saved? Yes. Gentiles? Yep. What about people that are, um, you know, old people? Absolutely. He wants old people saved. Younger people saved? Yes, he does. He wants people, uh, you know, who have been from a Christian family saved? Yes. He wants people that have actually been through, you know, the most difficult upbringing and feel like that has been just, uh, you know, disqualified them for the gospel. Yes, he wants them to be saved. And he wants people in China to be saved? Yes. Malawi to be saved? Yes. United States of America? No. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> what, what he's saying here is right through this that God wants everyone to be saved, not just the privileged one, not just the ones who know all the books of the Bible, not just those who have grown up in the church and their mum and dad were Baptists. And that, though, yes, he does want those to be saved, but not just a few people. Why? Because the gospel is for all. Look what it says in verse 3 here. It starts off and says, This is good. I want you to pray for everyone. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved. So the point that comes out in this verse is that God wants all people to be saved. It's his desire. It's his heart. 
You can see it right through the Gospels. I mean, you look at Luke 15, and, and what happens is Jesus starts talking about those who can be saved, and, and he, starts, he uses three illustrations. The first one is about a, a shepherd who has 99 sheep, uh, 100 sheep and loses one and goes off looking for the one lost sheep. And, and it's like Jesus is saying, God rejoices when one lost sheep is found. He's saying, one of these, just one of these, God celebrates over. Then just in case they didn't get it, he tells another story. He says about a woman who, who's only had 10 coins and she lost one of those 10 coins. And they said, does she say, well, at least I've got another nine? No, no. She sweeps the whole house and she really looks everywhere until she finds the coin. And when she does, she celebrates. And then in that same chapter, Luke 15, Jesus says, I'll tell you a story about a lost son. And this son went and blew it all. And yet when he came back, God was so thrilled because he loves him and he wanted him to be saved. Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's Luke 19 verse 10. That includes everyone. And then in this verse... It goes on to say, for there is one God, one God. Now, I want you to notice what this means when Paul is saying this. There is no other gods. I mean, people make their own small g gods and, and, and try and worship them. But what Paul is saying is if you put some other gods up here, they're all false. They're not true. There's only one God. And you know uh, that the Jews used to use a, a thing called the Shema that they would in their synagogues. They would say the words from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and they would say this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So they would say that the Lord our God is one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But what they would emphasise was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Our God in terms of the God for us. This is people. And they were finding it hard to cope with the fact that through Christ now, all people can be saved. And so what, he, what, what this, this verse is saying, for there is one God, so one God for all people, over all people, and there is just one God as in not just for, uh, that's, that's opposed to those that were thinking that this God is just for our God. And there's only one way that you can be saved And he talks about this in saying there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice he says the man, Jesus Christ. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. God came to earth in the flesh. And it says, Jesus Christ, the man. So one mediator between the man... Christ Jesus. And Paul was emphasising that God became man and was fully man, yet fully God. And he came into the world and he taught us, he showed us what God thinks. He spoke and he talked to us and he demonstrated what, how it is to live. He lived a sinless life and he told everyone that he was God. And then people uh, disobeyed disagreed. They even mocked him and they put him to death on a cross. 
And on that cross, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died. And he became the mediator, the one in whom all people now, Jew, Gentile, slave, Greek, even though that had, those that had hurt God and actively put him to death, He's now the only way by which men can be saved. And those, all people, you and I, every single person, in our own right cannot get back to God because sin has separated us from him. But Jesus Christ came into the world to be the mediator. Now I want you to notice how many mediators are there? Just one. There's only one mediator. So if you down here try to say, I'm going to try and uh, come up with this kind of new idea of thinking to get round, like maybe an um, endless genealogy, you know, which says, because I, my father was a Baptist, my grandmother was a Baptist, and all that, maybe I can get through on my parents' faith. No, no. There is no way of getting through and making yourself right before God. If you start to say, well, you, you know, maybe there's this new book from Oprah called The New Earth, you know, and uh, if I look at that and just really start to really realise that I can just be nice to other people and if I'm nice, people be nice to everybody else and we get good karma and that's a way to sort of... Well, there is no way to be right with God except through Jesus Christ. And so Paul was saying... There is just one way, but this way, this one became a ransom for who? For all, for every single person. And that is great news, isn't it? That means that whoever you are today and whatever your background or whatever you have done, Christ died for you. It means that there's nothing that stands in the way from you coming to God if you will put your faith and your trust in him. God desires that you would come to know him. He sent his son who's died on the cross, taking away the barrier, the separation of sin between us and God. And if you will put your faith and trust in him, you will recognise too that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom you and I are. And yet we can be made right with God and have relationship with him. So that's why Paul writes here, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. This testimony was given at the proper time. God knew what he was doing when he sent his son into the world. He knew what he was doing when he allowed him to be put to death on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And Paul knew that people were saying, no, 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 we can't let the whole, everybody in Ephesus know that Jesus is the only way. We have to add to it. We have to change this gospel. We have to make it that it's something to do with your parents or it's a myth or some myths that come out of the Old Testament that enable you to be saved. And Paul is saying, no, 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 there's one media, there's one God, and it's only through him that you can be saved. And instead of this church becoming inward and insular, led by the false teachers, 
Paul was saying, no, no, no. I want you to know this and to live in a way that is thinking about non-Christians and thinking about those who don't know God and thinking about those who have never put their faith in him. Paul finishes off this just to, you know, to show us. He says, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling you the truth. In other words, I am not lying. You better believe me when I've said this because it seems that some of the false teachers were saying, you know, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, and he says that the, the salvation is for the Gentiles, but, you know, it's not true. And so here he is saying, I'm not lying. It's true. So this morning, I want you to know that salvation is for all. And the reason you need to know that is so that you will not go insular, that you will not become a selfish Christian that thinks the gospel was just for you to enjoy all the benefits of God and his amazing grace for the rest of your life and not share it with other people. What this morning can we do now, now that we know that? Now that we know that it's, you know, uh, salvation is for everyone. And we know that by knowing that, we, we don't want to be insular. Well, I think we can do just what Paul said right in this passage. He said, therefore, I want you to pray. I urge you to pray. I urge you to pray for everyone, not just Christians. And I, I wonder for you this morning, when you pray, when you sit down and pray in the morning, what, what, what fills up the prayers? You know, I hope there's praise and thanks for God and for all that he's done and I hope that you pray for him. But I wonder this morning whether you do pray for those who don't know Jesus. Does that take a significant time of your prayer time? Because I think the more we pray and ask God to, to pour out his grace and to help us be part of helping other people come to know Jesus, the more we're reminded every single day that part of God's plan in saving me is that others might come to know him. How much of your time is praying? Praying for friends, praying for loved ones, praying for people who don't know Jesus. I think Paul says here, pray for kings. And I think the reason is that, you know, the people, the false teachers um, at, at this time were saying, well, we shouldn't be praying for all these people. And they were, their conduct and the way they were living through the result of their false teaching was making the world look at them and say, wow, who are those people? What are they doing? And I think this is praying for our governments, praying for our leaders that they would lead well so that we would have the freedom to continue to, to share the gospel and to live in the amazing grace of God without hindrance and without persecution and without people trying to uh, hinder that that we would have, be able to do that. So pray. That's the first thing to do. Pray. Pray for people who don't know. And pray for people who don't know Jesus. And I think the second thing that we could do today is to really now think about the time we spend our time. The principle here is wider than simply prayer. But it's asking, is, am I inward focused as though the gospel exists just for me? And one of the challenges, I think, is for us to think, how much time are you spending with people that don't know Jesus? 
loving them, building authentic friendships with them. One of the things I think that can be a real danger is that we pause in you know, 10 years from now and realise that we've, we've used every free night or every spare moment doing ministry within uh, the church and haven't continued personal friendships and relationships with people who God loves but hasn't yet saved, haven't, hasn't yet saved. And I think a real challenge for me as a pastor, you know, my time can just get so gobbled up with doing everything for the church, which we're all trying to reach out through the church and reach that as well. But a challenge for me is to ask, when every week am I putting in time to really just spend time with people that don't know Jesus? Not, not so that I can, you know, force them to believe something they don't believe, but so that I can demonstrate love, the love that God has for them so that they might come to know Jesus. Two things to challenge with. Pray. Pray for non-Christians. That will help you be reminded every day that there are people that don't know Jesus and that it's not all just about yourself. And second thing is start to just think, how much of my time, how much of the way I spend my time is spent all on things that are benefiting me and how can I do that in a way that's, that's going to help people? Do you know, today, in a few minutes, you're going to go out and you're going to walk out of this church and you're going to walk up in the middle of the aisles and what will happen is as you spend this week living, you will lock eyes with people. Every time you lock eyes with someone this week, would you be reminded that God loves them just as much as he loves you? Would you remind yourself that God sent his son Jesus for that person just as much as he sent his son to save you? And would you kind of wrestle with this again to just pray for them and wrestle too with the question of how is my life reflecting this so that people might come to know him? I'm so glad that God sent his son to save me. I was far from him when he saved me. And let's pray that we would live our lives in such a way that everyone has a chance to know. Let's pray, shall we? God, thank you. Thank you for saving us. And as we go today, help us to lock eyes with people and be reminded that people matter to you. Every single person matters to you. You love them all and you want us to demonstrate your love to them. God, we pray that people would come to know you through a saving relationship with Jesus. Help us to spend our time building authentic, genuine friendships with people that demonstrate your love. Help us to pray for people and help us to be those, a church that is always looking outward as we look upward and as we look to each other. May we always be aware of those among us who are yet to put their faith in you. And may we welcome them. In Jesus' name, amen.